podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you once again for listening. On today's episode, we'll start with a review of Napoli's win over Sampdoria on Sunday. In part two, we'll review some of the other action from around Serie A, but not every match, and I'll explain why in part two. And in part three, we'll preview Napoli's huge match on Wednesday against Inter. So let's start with our big win on Sunday against Sampdoria. Here's how it went. Final checks for Federico Lapen. And we're up and running in Fuori Rota. Yoshida, calm as ever, composed on the ball. Ulibali's header straight to Ekdal. Now Torsby. Lovely feet from Verre. Great weight on the pass. Yankto. One on one here to give Sampdoria the lead. Insigne tries his slant, caught the top of the wall, and that will do for the first half, says Federico Lapenna. We're all set then for the second half. We're back underway in Forigrata. Politano withdrawn for Lozano, and Fabian Ruiz, it appears, has not emerged for the second half. Zielinski dropping deeper to play alongside Demme. Petania leading the line, Mertens in the three behind the centre forward. Petania did well at Crotone. Lorenzo Insigne, Fauci Gula. Here's the Napoli skipper again. Ran into Candreva, but won the ball fairly. Mertens with the cross. Lozano! Napoli 11. The substitute with a gorgeous header. The challenge from Torsby, who's been diligent defensively despite getting that yellow card. Lozano too quick for Algello. Lozano's ball in, and it's headed in from Andrea Pitania. Substitutes on the score sheet. Inspired coaching from Bruno Gattuso. And he gets a big hug. Napoli come from behind to beat Sampdoria. The Blue Chefgati's run without victory on this ground goes on. As you heard, Napoli won 2-1 on goals from Chucky Lozano and Andrea Petagna. Last episode, we talked about how for two matches in a row against Crotone and Serie A and against Real Sociedad in the Europa League, we had a dreadful first half but were bailed out by a beautiful strike. Ironically, in this match, we were the better side in the first half and yet we went into the break down a goal. Fortunately, we now have a manager who knows how to motivate these players to keep playing and knock it down on themselves. He also made some brilliant substitutions, which we'll talk about in a bit. And we'll also revisit our three keys to the match. But first, let's go over the starting lineups. Claudio Ranieri had only one change to our predicted 11. He started Emil Audero in goal. We had Lorenzo Tonelli pushing out to right back to start over the injured Bartosz Berzinski with Alex Ferrari and Maya Yoshida at center back. Instead, Yoshida pushed out to the right and Omar Kali started at center back and Tonelli was on the bench. Tommaso Algello started at left back. Jakob Yankto started on the left wing and Antonio Candreva started on the right wing. Alban Ekdal and Morten Thorsby started in the middle and Valerio Vedes started behind Fabio Cagliarella in the attack. 
Gennaro Gattuso had two changes compared to what we predicted. He lined up in the 4-2-3-1 with Alex Meret in goal. Caldu Koulibaly and Kostas Manolas started at centre-back. Fauzi Goulam started over Mario Rui at left-back and Giovanni De Lorenzo started at right-back. Diego Demis started alongside Fabian Ruiz in the double pivot. Lorenzo Insigne started on the left wing and Matteo Politano started on the right wing. Piotr Zielinski started in the 10 spot behind Dries Mertens, who started over Andrea Petania at striker. So let's start with our three keys to the match. The first was that we needed to take advantage of our fullbacks, and I don't think we did this very well. Even though Politano and Di Lorenzo started together on the right, which is what I wanted to see because of the chemistry they have, Di Lorenzo did not have a great game. I don't think we should be too hard on him though. Because of Elcid Kusai having COVID and then Kevin Malqui's failure to earn Gattuso's confidence, followed by an injury, Di Lorenzo has been our only right back. In 17 matches in all competitions, Di Lorenzo has played the full 90 minutes in 16 of them, and he played about half an hour in that one other match. You have to think that fatigue is starting to catch up with him, so hopefully Kusai returns soon to give Di Lorenzo a break. Also, while Di Lorenzo was primarily to blame for the goal, a few other Napoli players made mistakes in the build-up as well. It started with Napoli conceding possession because Insigne and Zielinski collided with each other. Then Koulibaly had a chance to make a play and he headed the ball straight back to Ekdal, and three passes later the ball was in the back of the goal. One thing that I think will help Di Lorenzo is to start Lozano more until Kusai returns. I'm not just saying that because Lozano has been producing lately, Politano has been producing as well and in normal circumstances I actually think Lozano is better used as a substitute. With his pace, if he comes off the bench and plays against tired legs, he will burn those defenders every time. But the reason I think Lozano should start more for the time being is because being right footed, Lozano attacks the wing rather than cutting into the middle. That means there is less of a need for Di Lorenzo to overlap. So with Lozano on, Di Lorenzo can play more like a traditional right back and focus simply on defending rather than getting forward. In so doing, he'll be able to conserve some energy. On the left side, I wanted to see Mario Rui start because I like the chemistry he has with Insigne, but I do understand the decision to play Gulam here so Rui is fresh for the match against Inter midweek. Gulam did get forward quite a bit and besides the one cross that he skied to no one, he did play in some decent balls, including one that Mertens had on target. He did make me nervous going forward though because he's slow to get back and he did get caught a couple of times. Our second key of the match was that we needed to be patient. I was very proud of our boys in this regard. We knew that Sampdoria would play deep and compact looking to counter. Even though we went down a goal, it didn't really seem to phase us. I think our players recognized that we were playing well. I think this performance is also a testament to the work that Gattuso has done. He's talked about this club's mentality for a long time, especially after we lose, but we've seen more than once now that this team does have the resolve to come from behind. We saw it against Parma in the first game of the season, and we saw it against Benevento, and now we saw it here against Sampdoria. Now, I know those are all bottom-of-the-table teams, but we've been prone to dropping points to weaker opposition in the past, and it's important that you beat these teams. The third key to the match was that we had to play the full 90 whether we went ahead or fell behind and we did this one as well. I just talked about the mental resolve to keep playing after Sampdoria scored but I was also impressed that we continued to play even after we went ahead. In their previous match against Milan, Sampdoria were very offensive in the final half hour and came very close to equalizing. In this match, Napoli continued to play and Sampdoria never really looked like a threat to score a second. So we achieved two of our three keys to the match and we got all three points. 
Okay, let's close with Lozano and Petania. At the half, I tweeted that we shouldn't panic because we had players like Petania and Lozano that can give us a different look, and Mario Rui, who can add more creativity to the attack. What I didn't expect was for Gattuso to bring in Lozano and Petania at the half, though perhaps I should have. Gattuso made a similar move in his first match in charge against Parma, which was one day shy of a year before this match was played. Lozano was a like-for-like replacement for Politano on the right wing, and it took him less than 8 minutes to grab the equalizer. Insigne and Mertens both did well on that play, and Lozano just barely stayed onside before placing his header into the corner of the goal. I'm happy to have two good options at right wing, and I don't think either should be considered the outright number one, but one thing Lozano gives you that Politano does not is an ability to finish in the air. He can also do it with his feet, though in the 61st minute he smashed a low hard shot off the upright. Manolas made a very strong play to win the header to Lozano to set up that shot. He's quietly had a very good start to the season, especially the last few matches. I think he's really benefiting from playing only once a week, with Maksimovic thus far being the preferred option in the Europa League. I imagine Maksimovic will play that role in the Coppa Italia in January as well. Finally, Lozano assisted on the go-ahead goal. He made a brilliant run to get around Algello before playing a nice hard ball into the area. I know after this performance, a lot of people want to see Lozano in the starting 11, but Lozano didn't get around Algello so easily simply because he's quick. It was also because Algello played from the start of the match, so he was tired and Lozano was still fresh. And that's why I don't mind having Lozano come off the bench. After 25 minutes on the field, Lozano was already man of the match. Petania was the other change at the half, replacing Fabian, but not directly. Petania replaced Mertens at striker, Mertens replaced Zielinski at the 10, and Zielinski replaced Fabian in the double pivot. That's only possible because Mertens and Zielinski have the flexibility to play in multiple positions. Credit to Gattuso for recognizing that Fabian wasn't playing well. I mean, we all recognize Fabian wasn't contributing much, but Gattuso actually acted on it. We had Petania in our starting 11 for two reasons. First, we wanted him to give Mertens a rest ahead of the Inter game. And second, because we expected Napoli to attack on the wings, it made sense to have a big target in the middle. Napoli did attack the wings in the first half, but often our attack amounted to nothing because we were crossing the ball into Mertens, Insigne, and Politano. Of course, Petania scored that second goal. Now, I know Lozano did an amazing job to set up the goal, but I think we still need to give Petania some credit here. First, he put himself in a position to score that goal. He had to come back from away from the goal to position himself for the header. And second, he actually finished. I don't know about you, but other than Lozano, I don't have much confidence in any of our other forwards or midfielders to finish with their heads. After the goal, Petania ran to Gattuso and hugged him so hard he nearly knocked Gattuso's glasses off his face. Both were asked about the hug after the match. Petania said it was because Gattuso told him before the match that he would score, and he did, and he talked about how much he's learned under Gattuso. When Gattuso was asked if his players love him, he joked that sometimes they love him and other times they spit on his picture, but it's part of the job. The players know he is old-fashioned like that. He added that he likes to say things bread to bread, wine to wine, and he doesn't hold a grudge. So we continue to get results without Osiman in the lineup, which is huge. Surprisingly, through 11 rounds, we have yet to draw a match. We have 8 wins and 3 losses. We're beating the teams that we're supposed to beat. That's important too. I think this season, teams will drop points to weaker competition a lot more than we're accustomed to. So that will do for part 1. In part 2, we'll recap all the other action from around the league.
I mentioned at the top of the podcast that we're only going to review some of the other action from around Serie A. If you listen to this podcast regularly, you know that I typically recap all the action from the week, but based on some of the feedback that we've received, I've decided we're only going to cover the games involving Napoli's direct competitors, which at the moment amounts to the top half of the table. I am toying with the idea of possibly starting another podcast that focuses on Serie A as a whole, but if I do that, it won't be until the start of next season. Hopefully by then we're back to a normal schedule. So with that, let's get to match day 11. Heading into this round, Milan were top of the table on 26 points, 5 points clear of Inter in 2nd, and 6 points clear of Juventus and Napoli on 20 points. Sassuolo, Roma, and Lazio were not far behind on 19, 18, and 17 points respectively. Hellas Verona were in 8th on 16 points, and Atalanta were 2 points behind them, although Atalanta have a game in hand against Udinese. All across Serie A, a minute of silence was observed in honor of the late Paolo Rossi. Players also wore black armbands. This was an interesting weekend for the top clubs. In part 1, we talked about how Napoli came from behind to beat Sampdoria. Napoli were not the only top club at risk of dropping points, but then who managed to pull off the win. Let's start with Inter's game against Cagliari, which was the early game on Sunday. Inter won 3-1. Nicolo Barella, Danilo D'Ambrosio and Romelu Lukaku scored for Inter, while Ricardo Sotil scored for Cagliari. But that scoreline is far from a true depiction of how this match played out. Inter dominated the first half, but Alessio Cranio made big save after big save, foiling Lukaku and Alexis Sanchez on multiple occasions. Meanwhile, Cagliari had created very little, but scored on their only real chance of the match. Sotil scored the goal with a beautiful volley after his first attempt was blocked. He's been playing very well lately. Surprisingly, Leonardo Pavoletti has also played well since Giovanni Simeone contracted COVID. He didn't get the assist because Sotil's first attempt was blocked, but he played a lovely layoff in the buildup. So Inter dominated the first half and went into the break down a goal. Inter created far fewer chances in the second half and yet they scored three goals. The first one didn't come until the 77th minute. Barella scored a gorgeous volley after Cranio punched out the corner kick. Barella was excellent for Inter once again. And that goal came about 10 minutes after a pretty gruesome head-to-head collision with Marco Rogue that nearly caused Barella to leave the match. Fortunately for Inter, he stayed in the match. Not only did he score the equalizer, he assisted Inter second, which didn't come until the 84th minute. D'Ambrosio headed in at the far post. He was only on the field for a minute after Ashraf Hakimi picked up an injury, and Hakimi only came on after the break. Conte was wise enough to save one of his substitutions. I occasionally see people on Twitter question why managers will make changes in the final minutes of a match, and that could be one of the reasons why. Really, they could have just been protecting for an injury. Conte's other substitutions were very good though. At the start of the second half, Inter seemed to lack the spark they showed in the first half, so Conte replaced Matteo Darmian with Ashley Young and Christian Eriksen with Stefano Sensi. I was actually surprised that Eriksen started this match, but credit to him, he had a really good first half. Eriksen was visibly upset coming off, but his play did fade in the second half, so I think Conte made the right move there. And those changes seemed to give Inter the kickstart that they needed. Eusebio Di Francesco tried to respond with a few substitutions of his own. Both Nahit Hernandez and Giovanni Simeone came off the bench, making their first appearances since recovering from COVID. Unfortunately, they weren't able to help. Lukaku added his ninth goal of the season late in the match, so Inter pulled within two points of Milan for the time being. Juventus got a 3-1 win as well. Paolo Dybala scored his first in Serie A, which is not what the rest of us want to see. We don't need Dybala to start heating up. For Juventini, that's exactly where you want to see Dybala playing, picking up the ball on the right side and cutting into his left foot. 
Weston McKennie played a nice flick to Dybala in the buildup. I thought he was very good for Juve once again. I don't think anyone was expecting Genoa to equalize up until that point, and for the rest of the match after the goal, traffic was flowing in one direction. The goal was really nice though. Luca Pellegrini played a gorgeous ball to the back post, and Stefano Sturaro side-footed his volley inside the back post. Pellegrini is currently on loan at Genoa from Juventus, and Sturaro joined Genoa permanently this season at the end of his loan from Juventus. Genoa held on to the draw until the 76th minute before Juve were awarded the first of two penalties. Of course, Juan Cuadrado won the first penalty. He may have gone down a bit easily, but who doesn't these days? Rovella did foul him. He was nowhere near the ball. On the second, Mattia Perin was clearly laid on his tackle. Cristiano Ronaldo scored both of those penalties in his 100th appearance for Juventus, bringing his goal tally to 10 on the season, so he is now tied with Zlatan Ibrahimovic in the race for Capocannoniere. So with the win, Juve joined Napoli three points behind Milan. With Inter, Juve, and Napoli all winning, the pressure was on Milan, who played the final match of the round against Parma. Just like Inter and Napoli, Milan dominated play in the first half and yet found themselves down 1-0 at the break. However, Milan were the only team to fall behind 2-0. The two goals were very similar. Both started with a long ball, followed by a cross to the late run. Hernani played an important role on both goals. On the first, he made the late run and finished, and on the second, he tracked down the long ball and played the cross to Yuri Kuchka. On both goals, Milan's defending failed to pick up that late run, and I wonder if that has anything to do with Milan's recent injuries at the back. Simon Kier picked up an injury in Milan's Europa League match, and then only a couple of minutes into this match, Matteo Gabbia went down as well. However, I would only blame the backline for the second goal. I think Frank Kessie gets most of the blame on the first goal. Credit to Milan for their resolve, though they responded immediately after that second goal and scored the equalizer in added time. Both goals were scored by Teo Hernandez, who's having another fantastic year. Milan were really unfortunate to only score twice. Hakan Cholonoglu alone hit the woodwork three times, and Brahim Diaz hit the bar once as well. Samu Castillo had a goal disallowed for having half of his foot offside. All of a sudden, he's on fire and is looking to reclaim his starting position on the right wing. Not only did Milan lose Calabria, Ismail Benacera also left this match with an injury, so Milan's squad is starting to thin out a little bit. With the draw, Milan maintained their unbeaten streak, and even though it probably felt like two points gained, Milan are now only three points clear of Inter and four points clear of Napoli and Juventus. So those are the teams we're competing with for the Scudetto. However, we've maintained all season that our goal is to qualify for the Champions League. So let's quickly talk about those teams. Sassuolo, Roma, and Atalanta all got wins. Sassuolo beat Benevento 1-0 on a penalty kick from Domenico Berardi. There was no doubt about that decision. Alessandro Tuya's hand was clearly up. Berardi's shot was pretty much unstoppable on the penalty. From that point onward, Benevento were actually the better side. Gianluca Caprari and Gianluca Lapadula looked dangerous all match. They just couldn't seem to find the back of the goal. On another day, Lapadula may have scored two or three goals, but on this day, he couldn't even buy one. I thought Pasquale Scattarella got away with one in the 41st minute. He appeared to give young Frenchman Maxime Lopez a little punch on the side of the head. Then in the 48th minute, Lucas Haraslin was laid on his tackle and put his stud straight into the ankle of Gaetano Letizia. Initially, the referee gave him a yellow, but VAR reviewed the play and confirmed this was indeed a red card offense, which was absolutely the right decision. This was a brutal challenge, even if it was unintentional and could have easily resulted in a serious injury. Fortunately, it did not, and Letizia was able to continue playing. In fact, he played the full 90 minutes. Sassuolo keeper Andrea Consigli deserves a lot of credit for this when he made some excellent saves in the final half hour of the match. In the 85th minute, substitute Iago Falque smashed his shot into the bar. On the rebound, Berardi appeared to push Brian Dabo in the box, 
but the penalty wasn't given and it certainly looked like a foul to me, but in the end the Zerbe's men hung on to defeat his former team. Roma absolutely obliterated Bologna 5-1, the first was an own goal after an excellent run from Leonardo Spinazzola, and then Dzeko and Lorenzo Pellegrini added goals inside the first 15 minutes, Jordan Vertu and Henrik Mkhitaryan scored the 4th and 5th respectively, both of those goals were scored in the first half as well, and to be honest, Roma probably could have scored 4 or 5 more goals in the first half alone. Roma were carving up Bologna's midfield and back line, they attacked predominantly from the left side with great effect. Bologna did get the one goal, but they were pretty fortunate that Brian Cristante put the ball into his own goal. Roma rested most of their starters midweek in the Europa League, having already won their group, and you could see how fresh their regular starters looked in this match. I was actually surprised to see that Fonseca left his starters in as long as he did. Fonseca used all five subs, but he didn't make his second change until the 81st minute, and that could be because Roma have one of the easier schedules to close the year. They play Torino midweek, followed by an Atalanta team with all sorts of problems at the moment, and then they have Cagliari and Sampdoria. Speaking of Atalanta, they beat Fiorentina 3-0 on goals by Robin Gosens, Ruslan Malinowski, and Rafael Toloi. Papu Gomez was kept out of the lineup for this match. Cesare Prandelli set up to defend, looking to fix his back line first. Fiorentina held out as long as they could, but you knew it was only a matter of time before Atalanta broke through. Atalanta were all over Fiorentina. They had six corner kicks in the opening 20 minutes alone. Had it not been for a couple of very nice saves from Drogovski, Atalanta would have gone up. Robin Gosens opened the scoring just before the break after another strong individual effort by Duan Zapata. Despite setting up to defend, Fiorentina's defending on set pieces was actually very poor. Malinowski scored a beautiful free kick in his first game back since recovering from COVID. That was his first goal of the season. Not to take anything away from Malinowski's efforts, but Fiorentina set up a wall with Giacomo Bonaventura lying down behind it, which I hate by the way. I think we need a rule to cut that out of the game, but today it is within the rules to do that. If you do do that, if you put a player on the ground behind the wall, then everyone in the wall needs to jump, otherwise there's no point. Nikola Milenkovic decided not to jump, and sure enough, Malinowski's shot went over his head and into the back of the goal. The third goal was from another corner kick, and somehow Atalanta got two free headers on one set piece. First, Barat City got a free header at the near post to flick the ball into the danger area. Then Toloi got a free header at the back post. So Atalanta got back on track in Serie A with the win after two draws and a loss in their previous three. It was important that they won without Papu Gomez in the lineup because on Monday we learned that Papu will probably be leaving Atalanta in January. Apparently he got into it with Gasparini at halftime in Atalanta's Champions League match against Mithiland. Papu then took to social media to address the fans, saying that when he leaves the club, you'll know the truth. Finally, Lazio lost 2-1 to Verona. Verona continued to deliver results against the odds. Verona opened the scoring just before the break. Sergei Milinkovic-Savic appealed for a foul before the goal, and it correctly wasn't called. Davide Faraoni made an excellent run on the right wing before crossing to Federico Di Marco. His volley appeared to be heading wide of the goal, but Manuel Lazzari attempted to clear the shot and accidentally put it into his own goal. Anyone who criticized Lazzari for not letting the ball roll out probably has never played the game before. He obviously didn't know the ball was going to go wide and you're taught at a young age that if you don't know, you clear the ball out to safety. He just mishit it. Lazzari made amends though by assisting on the equalizer early in the second half. Felipe Caicedo has a knack for scoring important goals. He has a great striker's instinct. He knows exactly where the goal is and it's not the first time this season he scored a goal by spinning and shooting in one motion. He did the same thing against Juventus except with his right foot. 
Verona went back ahead in the 67th minute. Stefan Radu played a weak pass back to Pepe Reina, which Adrian Tamez intercepted before scoring his first goal for Verona. That goal came only a minute after Matias Akani made a really important tackle on Jean-Daniel Akpa-Akpro, who would have been clear on goal. Lazio looked like they were going to come back, as we've seen them do time and time again, but Verona's backline held them off. So Milan, Lazio, and Bologna were the only teams in the top 10 to drop points this round, with the Milan draw, Inter pulled within 3 points and Napoli and Juve pulled within 4 points. Sassuolo is 1 point behind Napoli and Roma are 2 points behind. Verona are on 19 points and Atalanta and Lazio are on 17, but as I mentioned, Atalanta have that game in hand. So that's where we currently stand, but obviously a lot can change. We'll talk about our next match against Inter in Part 3. Siamo nati e cresciuti a Napoli. Per noi non è solo una squadra di calcio, è una città. Napoli è identità. Napoli corre, lotta, si ribella. Napoli è bella. Qui non sei mai solo. Qui puoi tutto. Qui puoi spiccare il volo. E allora, tutti insieme, cantiamo in coro. Final part will preview Napoli's match on Sunday against Inter. This is the 149th meeting in Serie A between these two clubs and the 75th to be played in Milan. In the previous 74, Inter won 48, 17 resulted in a draw, and Napoli won the other 9. Napoli haven't defeated Inter in Milan since April 30th, 2017. Despite struggling in the Champions League, Inter seem to have figured things out in Serie A. They haven't lost in Serie A since losing to Milan on match day 4. Since then, they have 5 wins and 2 draws, and they've won 4 straight. Inter's big issue at the beginning of the season was that they were conceding far too often. After conceding only 36 goals over the entire 2019-2020 campaign, Inter conceded 8 goals in their first 4 matches this season. They seem to have solved their problems at the back, though, in their last 7 matches, Inter have only conceded 7 goals. At the same time, they've scored more goals than any other club in Serie A with 29 goals for. With Inter recently being eliminated from the Champions League and not qualifying for the Europa League, they can focus squarely on Serie A and perhaps on Coppa Italia as well, but that shouldn't really change anything for this match as neither of those competitions resume until January. Even when those competitions do resume, these two clubs should be able to manage so long as they don't pick up too many injuries. These are arguably the two deepest squads in all of Serie A. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Antonio Conte lines up in a 3-5-2 with Samir Handanovic in goal. The three-man back line will likely include Alessandro Bastoni in the middle, Milan Skriniar on the left, and Stefan de Rai on the right. Danilo D'Ambrosio is always an option at center right as well. 
Ivan Perisic and Mateo Darmian have been Conte's preferred wingbacks in Serie A, while Ashley Young and Ashraf Hakimi have played in the Champions League. Hakimi picked up an injury on Sunday, so we likely won't see him in the starting 11, even though he has reportedly recovered from that injury. Ashley Young made an impact off the bench against Cagliari, so I'll go with Young on the left and Darmian on the right. Conte has rotated between five different central midfielders, Marcelo Brozovic, Roberto Gagliardini, Nicolo Barella, Arturo Vidal, and Christian Eriksen. Of those five, Barella is the only sure thing. At best, Vidal will be on the bench. I'm inclined to think that Brozovic and Gagliardini are the other starters. We saw Eriksen start against Cagliari, and he played well in the first half but was pulled early in the second half. Eriksen was pretty upset about being taken out, so I don't think we see him start again. Up top, Conte has been starting Romelu Lukaku with Alexis Sanchez in Serie A lately, and Lukaku with Lautaro Martinez in the Champions League. Lukaku and Lautaro have not started a match together in Serie A since match day 5 against Genoa, but I have a feeling we see them start together for this match. For Napoli, Gattuso will likely line up in the 4-2-3-1, though I do think there's a possibility he goes back to the 4-3-3. When healthy, David Ospina has been Gattuso's preferred option and goal for the bigger matches, so I think we see Ospina start this one. Kalidou Koulibaly will start at centre-back, but I'm curious to see who he'll be paired with. Thus far this season, Kostas Manolas has only played once a week. However, he has been very good lately, and I think he's the better option to help defend Lukaku and Lautaro Martinez, or Alexis Sanchez, whichever one gets the start. With Fauzi Goulam starting against Sampdoria, we should see Mario Rui start here, and Giovanni Di Lorenzo will start once again at right-back. I expect to see Tiamoui Bakayoko start next to Fabian Ruiz in the double pivot. Bakayoko provides the strength and size that we need to defend Lukaku, and he got a rest against Sampdoria. I know a lot of Napoli fans are not too happy with Fabian's play of late, but until Osimhen returns and we have the option to play Zielinski in the double pivot, I think Fabian gets the lion's share of time in that role. Gattuso could in theory start Petania at striker with Mertens in the 10 spot and Zielinski in the double pivot, but I don't see Gattuso going to Petania in a big match. After the Sampdoria match, Gattuso told Sky Sport that Fabian was sorry after the last match, but he told him to keep his head high and with matches every three days, he will have the opportunity to redeem himself. With Fabian coming out of the Sampdoria match pretty early, I think Gattuso will give him that opportunity here. Lorenzo Insigne will start on the left wing. I think Matteo Politano will start on the right wing. I know that's not going to be a popular opinion amongst Napoli fans after the performance Lozano just had against Sampdoria, but Politano has bad blood with Inter, so you know he will be motivated for this match. He only played the first half against Sampdoria, so he'll also be well rested. And as I mentioned in our review of the Sampdoria match, I think Lozano is sometimes better used off the bench against the tired legs of the opposition's defenders. Finally, I think Dries Mertens will start at striker again in front of Piotr Zielinski at the 10 spot. Okay, so next let's review our three keys to the match. Our first is the battle between Kalidou Koulibaly and Romelu Lukaku. To have any chance of winning this match, we need to shut the big man down. We saw Koulibaly struggle to defend Zlatan Ibrahimovic earlier this year, which gives me cause for concern. Ibrahimovic beat Koulibaly with his strength and supreme leaping abilities. Though Lukaku is just as strong as Zlatan, he poses a different kind of threat. He doesn't have that leaping ability that Zlatan does, so Koulibaly should have the advantage in the air. But Lukaku has better pace and is very dangerous 1v1. He knows how to use his size and strength to create space for the shot, and he knows how to finish. That's where we'll need our holding midfielder, whether it's Bakayoko or Demet, to support our center backs. Of course, that also means we need to watch out for the layoff. If we double-team Lukaku, then someone else is probably open. 
We know we have the ability to shut down Inter because we did it in the first leg of the Coppa Italia last season. We did that playing the 4-3-3, which is why I suspect we may go back to that system for this match. But I think and hope we're going to play more positively this time around. We have the quality that we should be able to maintain possession when we get the ball and be able to create chances without relying solely on the counterattack. Speaking of maintaining possession, our second key is we need to win the battle of the midfield. I'm most concerned about Nicola Barella, and because of him, I wouldn't be shocked if Diego Demme started in place of Bakayoko. Bakayoko gives you the strength, but not the speed, and Demme plays with the right amount of grinta. Defending is not Fabian and Zielinski's strong suit, so we're going to need them to be at their best. With Inter's 3-5-2, you can definitely expect Napoli to defend in a 4-5-1. I'm really hoping Hakimi is not fit to start because I think we'd really struggle to defend his pace on the wing. If he beats Mario Rui, then Koulibaly has to help, and that likely means Lukaku is either unmarked or opposed by an inferior defender. The third and final key to the match is we cannot outcoach ourselves. When I was on the Serie A sit-down podcast, Frank Cravello noted that Gattuso fails to show up against the big clubs. The results this season seem to support that point. Disregarding the Juve match, because obviously that wasn't a tactical loss, we've lost to the top team in Milan and the second place team at the time in Sassuolo. Against Milan, Gattuso used a very unusual formation, especially for such a big match. He used Mertens at striker, which is fine, but he played three wingers behind him with Insigne on the left, Lozano on the right, and Politano in the middle. When that didn't work, he switched Politano to the wing and Lozano to the middle, but the issue was that we had three wingers still on the pitch. Since then, we've started using Zielinski in the 10 spot, so I don't think we'll see three wingers on the field again. I also think it's important that we go back to the basics. That means setting up well defensively and being organized. In our last few matches, we haven't maintained our structure at all and teams are passing through us with ease. We can't afford to give Inter that kind of space with their wing play they'll tear us apart. It also means we can't be too cute at the back. We should pass the ball out from the back when players are open and available to do that, but otherwise, we should clear the ball to safety and try to win back possession in the midfield. Inter has too much quality that we can't afford to concede possession in our own third, or even worse, in our own box, because we will be punished for that. The head official for this match is Davide Massa. His assistants are Filippo Melli and Stefano Alassio. The fourth official is Francesco Forno. And on the VAR is Giampaolo Calvarese, assisted by Stefano Del Giovanni. Massa has officiated 18 Napoli matches between 2013 and 2019. In those matches, we have a record of 13 wins, 2 draws, and 3 losses, including a 5-1 win over Empoli and a 7-1 win over Bologna. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw. I'll give our lone goal to Matteo Politano against his former club, and I'll give the Inter goal to Lukaku. I think this is going to be a very tightly contested match. The first half will be played very cautiously, and we probably go into the break tied 0-0. The game will only open up if one team scores, but neither team are going to make it easy to score that lone goal. I was tempted to pick a 0-0 draw here, but I can see either of these teams making a costly mistake that leads to a goal. I could also see either of these teams opening the scoring with an outrageous strike because we both have the quality to do it. The reason I'm picking 1-1 is because both of these teams seem to play their best only after going down a goal. So regardless of who scores first, I think the other team will then wake up and start playing and pushing for that equalizer. Of course, when you start to push, you also expose yourself to the counterattack, so it would not surprise me in the least if this match finished 2-0 for either team. Unfortunately, if it's to finish 2-0, I think it's more likely that Inter are on the winning side of that scoreline. 
I'll stick with a 1-1 draw though, which when you think about it is a pretty terrible result for both of these teams. It would mean that Juve would surpass us both with a win over Atalanta. Atalanta have all kinds of problems at the moment, but hopefully they can build off of that win over Fiorentina. Meanwhile, things are starting to click at Juve, which is not good for anyone. Hopefully we beat Inter and Atalanta beat Juve. It's 2020, so really anything can happen. That will do for our preview of Inter versus Napoli. That will also do it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends and give us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at ForzaNapoliPod. We'll talk to you again later in the week to review this match and to preview our next one. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli Sempe. Network.